big question that I had for this episode is who the heck does that song that plays while Hurley is walking across the beach? Because nobody had the answer to this question. Because so normally if you're watching something on Amazon and you pause it and there's music playing, uh, not only does it show you the name of the actors who are in the scene, it will also tell you whatever musical composition is playing. And it didn't. And I thought that it was a glitch or something. So I looked it up online and there were a lot of clips of that scene from the episode. And my favorite comment was somebody said, the biggest mystery of Lost is who the hell wrote this song. Because the song that plays, it's not a it's not a song from anywhere. It's they made it for the show. Oh so, my god, you're kidding. No, I am not kidding. It is it does not exist in any form elsewhere. What I was able to find out is that the song is either called Drinks on Me or Who You Wit. And all credit to the Down the Hatch podcast, they finally were able to track down the guy who produced it. And it, it, apparently it was like 15 years with nobody knowing what the heck this song was. It was produced by a man named Chris the Glove Taylor. And yeah, he made it for the show. That's wild. Yeah. Because I do remember listening to the Numbers podcast on the Hatch one I was listening to. I want to say the guy that they interviewed was the writer of this one, which, as we saw, is David Fury. Mm -hmm. Their big question for him was, how'd you guys come up with the numbers? To which he responded, well, I, I looked at the previous 10 or 12 scripts that we'd done and just grabbed the numbers at random from there, except oh, 42, which was just a reference to Hitchhiker's Guide. Right, right. Yeah, that song, though, yeah, it slaps. And it was, like, <laughs> such a great cutaway. So it's so fascinating that it exists in its own lost universe. I Yeah, I haven't listened to the full interview, so I'm curious to know why they chose to do it. Because Lost has used pop songs before in several episodes. So I can't imagine that it was a, a licensing issue, that they didn't have the money to get a song. I'm fascinated by this, that they chose to just have someone come into a studio and just create a track just for that one moment. There's theories online that the that the lyrics contain some sort of hints or clues to the episode or Lost in general, but there's only like two or three verses in this song, and and it's all very general, you know, just, you know. So, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> You know what else I learned, actually, in the interim? Not about this episode specifically, but uh, I'm realizing you're making me think of this because I'm like, I thought I read more about, but I only have one like quote. Anyway, that Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse were going to leave. Their contracts were up at the end of season two. And when they finally agreed or negotiated to come on to season three, it was literally to train up new people to be the showrunners to keep lost going i didn't know that yeah i'll send you the interview it's a vox article they were like so were there any mysteries that you were worried about not resolving and he's like yeah we had a, a huge whiteboard and walt was at the top of it and they were firm though they're like well since they won't give us an end date and they want this to go forever we're not going to be here so we'll let that be someone else's problem. And uh, <laughs> once they finally, at the you know, season three, famously getting that, yeah, okay, you can end the show. 
then I guess it changed things. But uh, yeah, they were trying to get out, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. I get that because the high of season one is so high, but to be forced to continue it indefinitely would be uh, who would who would want to do that? Because it, it's not it's not like a regular show where you have characters and you get to introduce conflicts that they get to resolve. It's a show that is built on mystery upon mystery upon mystery. And at some point that's just exhausting. It's not, I'm sure it can't be fun to be like, I would just want to write a fun story. I don't want to have to either answer or bring up new problems. And yet like specifically that's, that's even something that they mentioned almost verbatim uh, where (laughs) they were like, they told us like, stop answering questions. Your job every episode should be to kick off new questions. And they were like, uh, don't. (laughs) Um, they also, over the course of the interview, they do actually bemoan what they did with Charlie. They don't reference Homecoming as negative. I say they, like, that's how Damon Lindelof identifies himself. He feels bad that they couldn't get away from the drugs with Charlie, especially given the actor of Dominic Monaghan. He's like, he felt bad about how they didn't get around Charlie and his I know we brought up in The Moth and I think in Homecoming as well, but that there are other facets that you could have explored, like be it his relationship outside of the band, like with his dad or his mom or his or religion, other, or his religion uh, which they eventually you know, kind of do with Desmond, where it's like, yeah, we have a whole flashback dedicated to his religion or whatever. You know, like, I'm glad that they acknowledge that. They don't really acknowledge the Kate thing. Although the interviewer does press him a little bit on it because he's like, is it because Jack was going to die in the first episode that Kate wound up taking a backseat? And he doesn't say no. His big thing is he's like, we just we want her to be a strong female character who wasn't beholden to a man like, oh, what's going to happen with Jack or what's going to happen with Sawyer? (laughs) And I'm like. That's exactly what Kate becomes. Yeah, that, so what are you, that that what are you talking me. about? Well, should we get to the episode? All right. Welcome to the podcast, brother. Welcome to the podcast, brother. Today, we are talking season one, episode 18 of ABC's Lost, entitled Numbers. The original air date was March 2nd, 2005. It was written by David Fury and Brent Fletcher, and it was directed by Daniel Atias. This is not the first David Fury episode we've reviewed. Um, We're big fans of his episodes. It is Brent Fletcher's only episode of Lost that he's written. And Daniel Atias, the director, he only directed two episodes for the show, this one and Everybody Hates Hugo. So I don't know why he just directed uh, Hurley episodes, but that's interesting. You know what? That makes sense to me because this episode, I know we talked about it prior to doing this rewatch but it is such a delicate line they trot in going from morbid tragedy to kind of tongue-in-cheek sitcom such a delicate balance and they nail it you think so that was going to be my first question was do you think this show pulls off the scary moments with the funny moments and how scary is it supposed to be? Ooh, 
Because here's my, I, I'll give you my take on it if you want me to go first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First I, and foremost, how did you feel about it? I really liked this episode. I thought it was a lot of fun. Hurley was great. It's nice learning his story. And I remember being just shocked when I first saw it. It's a very comedic episode, but I don't think that it really pulls off how creepy the numbers are with a couple exceptions. Like the the ending scene of him talking to Lenny was kind of creepy. The creepiest scene is when he talks to Martha in Australia. That scene is really good. But the problem is so much of the episode is so silly that I think it undercuts most of the the creepiness. Well, first, to speak to what you said, yes, that scene with Martha gave me chills the first time I saw it. And even now, 18 years later, (laughs) I still get chills because I I actually forgot that she had lost a leg. And hearing a woman vehemently deny there is anything behind these numbers Mm -hmm. that clearly... Her partner, now deceased, thought that, you know, it's just, I, the anger and frustration and agony is so palpable. And it is, uh, that, yeah, I I think that scene is very effective. I think the letter scene is hilarious. (laughs) You know what I'm realizing (laughs) is, in the last few episodes especially, but I think throughout the show, what lost has been doing really, really well is when it's just two people in a scene, this show is tremendous. Whether it's Jack talking to Locke in White Rabbit or Christian talking to Sawyer in Outlaws or Martha talking to Hurley in Numbers, this show really excels at just, uh, at allowing a scene to go on as long as it needs to, to build the tension between characters and that's what happens with that Martha scene because the show has been very cavalier about this curse that Hurley has. It's all treated very comedically. And then all of a sudden it's like you're dropped into a ghost story. That's what that scene feels like where he's talking to Martha on the couch and she's just telling him this story and it goes from being like, Oh, this was all funny in a dark way that like all this bad stuff has been happening to Hurley and it ends with a man killing himself. And it's not it's not fun anymore. It's not funny anymore because it's it's not just sad, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah, that scene is real effective. And the fact that and, you have this almost triumphant like ending with Hurley getting the battery, but this the episode still ends on that slow close up on the numbers on the hatch. Everything's not okay. Yeah. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. Okay, so I I should back up. Number one, I like this episode. I've had a good night's sleep. I'm back on the lost train. (laughs) I will, however, temper it with, once again, one thing happens in this episode. (laughs) Hey, we're going to be out at sea. Great observation, Michael. We could really use a battery for a transmission. Okay, (laughs) let's just get the battery then. That's the episode. I no, I disagree. I <laughs> I disagree because so a few things happen in this episode. Okay, two things happen in this episode. 
All right, three things happen in this episode. Here's what they are. They get a battery for the raft. We learn about Hugo's story. And you can count this as as another thing or the same thing, but Hurley gets validation from Rousseau. That's what this whole episode leads up to. And I do I do I think it's I think it's important. And he also calls the monster a pissed off giraffe, which is still one of my favorite things in this show. He gets validation from a crazy person. So here's what I like about that moment between the two. Is <laughs> That's that very sweet. It's not Rousseau saying, I believe these numbers are cursed. It's her saying, it's because of these numbers that everybody I know is dead. And it's because of these numbers that you are here on this island and all these bad things have happened to you. So by that logic, yeah, the numbers are cursed. It's not her saying, I believe this in my bones. This is a known fact to me. It is her basically agreeing with him and being like, yeah, by that definition, these numbers are definitely cursed. There you go. There's your validation. And yeah. <laughs> Well, so here's another thing. I can't say, I think, similar to how with a Charlie flashback, you get a glimpse of his religion and it's like, oh, you could tell that story. I do even like in Hurley's story without spending any time giving any context for it they give you that breadcrumb of hurley used to be in a psych ward mm -hmm. and that's it they just kind of they let it sit there for a couple scenes without any any rhyme or reason like mm -hmm. they just want you to sit with it and i think that was really clever to me again i feel like that's got to be a david fury hallmark because like like you said about like the electro muscle massager thing and walk about he's like i'm just gonna put this in here and we'll see if someone waters it and lets it grow uh, <laughs> so i think that was good i do like learning about hurley's story but i just mean in terms of like moving the plot forward i think yeah it is the we need a battery we found a battery and again to me it may be that i'm biased since you told me that hey the latter now four episodes, they clear they had taken a break basically, and now we're writing these out and knew that they would have to keep us going for syndication. And it's like, yeah, man, your chapter one of this new era is Charlie kills Ethan. That's the episode. Chapter two, Sawyer doesn't kill a boar. <laughs> chapter three, they're still building the raft, but now Jin is helping. <laughs> chapter four, they got a battery. Like. I just, you know, when you put hard. it that way, it does not uh, <laughs> does not sound great. Well, it's just a lot. I just I think I'm in a place now though where I'm like, it's not as jam packed. It's definitely in that to me this one falls snugly in the midst of those outlaws homecoming in translation. That's exactly where I have it on my list. <laughs> and again, those are totally fun. Like those are good episodes of lost in my book but i i do think that of the when you start with those original 13 obviously there were at least two that were very low but the hits were like mm -hmm. phenomenal i won't tell too much on point is i thought it was great art test i think it was great i thought it was good i thought it was a good episode of lost i think that the flashback stuff is very funny you bring up such a good point about how cursed could this be because yeah even then like 
his uncle Tito having a heart attack, I actually think is like, I thought that's like an example of them handling that balance well, because so tragic. It is a, a terrible thing to see, especially after the brief commentary we get about his character is that he worked like 13 jobs and really helped out his whole family. And Hurley's just so happy to give him a break. And then he dies. That's a really, really tragic thing that they handled in such a way where it's like, yeah, I, I felt like the balance there was okay. I didn't feel like they're laughing at someone's death. I think they were kind of like how Hurley's response to that is just kind of like shock of like, wait, what? No, like, you know, <laughs> just kind of like more uh, awestruck. So anyway, how did I feel about it? How did I feel about it? I like Hurley. I think Hurley's great. As appreciated, it feels like it's been a little bit since we had a tromp through the jungle. One of the notes that I took was that ever since Saeed has come back to the camp with Russo's maps, we have talked about Russo's maps at least once an episode, and he has made zero progress on them. To the degree that it makes me wonder, what are we supposed to get from these maps? Like, why do we keep bringing it up as a plot point if it's never going to matter? And he's also, the whole episode, Said is so mad that people keep asking him about Rousseau and are trying to find her. Like, he gets so pissed at Jack when he thinks that he sent Hurley to steal a map. So <laughs> uncharacteristically angry that anybody is trying to get to Rousseau. But we'll talk more about that when, when we do the recap. But it, it's... <laughs> I Well, okay, why don't I just go backwards a bit? Do you think the numbers are cursed? I wish there was a definitive answer to this question because it sure seems like the numbers are cursed. It sure seems like anybody who comes into contact with these numbers is in for a bad time. But this is at a stage in the show when, as the TV trope says, it's maybe magic, maybe mundane. And what this episode does well is that it gives you arguments for both sides. It says, well, look at all this stuff going on. It messed up all these people's lives. Clearly the numbers are cursed. And then it has Martha most prominent among them, but other people saying, no, numbers can't be cursed. That's ridiculous. But one of those people is the accountant who says numbers aren't cursed and then is immediately faced with the fact that a man has jumped to his death outside their window. People jump to their deaths outside all the time. We can't put that on the number. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. so to answer your question, do I think the numbers are cursed? No, but I do think the numbers have some kind of power. Okay. I'm inclined to say what bothers me about this question is that when I looked this up, because I did want to verify if the numbers were just chosen because they were the numbers that were thrown in from the previous episodes. And I actually couldn't find anything that cites that. Instead, I found Lostpedia, which says, well, the numbers indicate the candidates for Jacobs. And I'm like, no, 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 let's, okay, that's retroactive. Let's not pretend that that's why Leonard heard these numbers or some rando in Australia heard the numbers. So I think the numbers are... I I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't 
I think I would I would want the numbers to be cursed. That's where I'm at. That's mm-hmm. I want them to be, but I don't think that they ever provide enough evidence that they are. And I think that because the numbers are so distinctive, like it's not as though like if someone is like their license plate has one font. No, that's not the right way to put it. Um, but you know, like it's fifteen sixteen. It's not. Oh, the number one, five, and six are are all individually. It's the numbers together. Is yeah, is where the hoodoo comes in. And I and I think it would be so neat if that's if that was true throughout. But but I think that because the numbers are so prevalent, but isolated, it dilutes how much of a curse these things may have. I don't know. I. I wish I wish they made a choice and I don't feel they did. For this episode, I don't need there to be a choice. I think cuz the, no, the point of the yeah. episode is not whether they're cursed or not, it's the fact that Hurley feels cursed by the numbers. Yeah, no, and I agree. I think that that much is. I just it because it plays into the larger and the fact that it's on the hatch, which I don't think we ever find out why. I think we do. I want to say there's a scene in season five where somebody carves the numbers on there, but I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I, um, and we've, I think we've talked about the, the season six episode where they get into the numbers being the candidate numbers before and how it's, it's not an answer. It's a non-answer and there really never is a good answer given for what these things are, but they basically just serve as a visual and auditory symbol of, weird stuff that comes out of the island yeah let's get into the recap because uh we're we're jumping around and i want to organize our thoughts here all right we start not with hurley's eye but with a crashing wave hurley and Jin are assembling the new raft and michael tells jack that he has people guarding it 24 7 unbeknownst to him neither the others nor his son have any intention of torching the raft again but we get it He asks Jack if they have anything they can use to attract attention, since they will be a very small raft out there in the water. And Jack says Saeed might be able to rig something up, but he needs batteries and they have none. They cook to Saeed, who says that he will not go back to Rousseau, and who is very frustrated about the map situation. He seems to be at the end of his rope. When we saw him last episode, he seemed to be in a very peaceful, happy place with Shannon, and now he's just frazzled this whole episode. Yeah, so he really got... Yeah, well, I guess we'll get to it. I will say, being older now, I every time I saw Michael's raft, I very much have the same response that Hurley does of, that's not a raft, they're building a boat. <laughs> um, but now, being older, knowing what I know about boats, and knowing what I know about how vast the ocean is i am realizing how terrible of an idea it is yep to yeah we're gonna pack up some food some bottled water and just see if someone notices us yeah i understand michael's desire to build the raft he even stated it in the episode where he starts building it that he needs to do something he doesn't want to just sit on the island and let Walt grow up on the island. It's important to him. He's an engineer. He's going to build something. The problem is, the Pacific Ocean 
is the largest body of water on the planet. And they don't know where they are. So the likelihood of them getting anywhere is so very small that it's it's ludicrous to attempt it. But again, Michael wants to save his son. He wants to be proactive. No, and I don't. I don't begrudge why he's doing it. I even think Harold Perrineau delivers that line well when he's like, "So we're we're going to be out out there," um, and like what he's asking for. It's like some way to signal or give a radio or uh, fire a flare. But yeah, it's only now dawned on me that like, it's insanity. Like it actually, it's the more, the closer they get to finishing that raft, the more I'm like, yeah, if you haven't even seen a plane fly overhead and they haven't, this is a terrible idea. Although apparently there is a sailboat in the distance uh, in one of the shots. Wait, I, didn't, what? I didn't see it myself, but according to Lospedia, during uh, the scene where I think Jin's messing up the raft, um, there was a sailboat like way out from the beach, just out the, on the horizon. That's incredible. <laughs> That's like a, a Ben-Hur um, moment of yeah. like a, like a, I forget what it like, was, like a car in the chariot. Like, yeah, it's like a car in the Coliseum or it like passes by or something. But anyway, um. Here's the thing. I was going to ask you if you were trapped on an island for 30 days and no help was coming and you had Madeline with you, what would you do? But I know that you want to stay on the island. So that's yeah. not a valid question. <laughs> no, I, well, not only that, but like, I, yeah, no, I just, it would, it would be bad. I would not be like, hey, I'm going to build us a boat and we're going to try that. Like, I, <laughs> even if I was some brilliant, mechanical engineer i think our best bet would be let's wait on the island <laughs> like i what yeah, would you I would, if you had be would you i know because because i'm terrified of the ocean first of all because i know what's in there um what i would do and i don't know if this is the right answer either is i would explore the island more i would find yeah. out okay we know there's some sort of station broadcasting a message why don't we go there first i get their desire not to do that. Like I get that them, that they know there are others. They know there was at least one other on the island. They know there's a crazy French lady. So they know there could be other hostile people on the island. But to me, to decide to build a raft without having fully, well, but then you also have to deal with the fact that there are polar bears and they know there's some kind of monster in the jungle. So I honestly, I think you can argue it both ways. I would much prefer to scope out the rest of the island and be like, hey, maybe there's a building here. Maybe there's a government observing station or something. Maybe they used to detonate nuclear bombs out here and there's an old military or Navy station or something. You don't know. Yeah, well, I'm like, as you put it out, and I know that they do eventually resolve it, but Saeed did find a wire. Mm -hmm. I know it, it eventually goes underground, but it's also a little bit like, I'm realizing how much more compelling that mystery is, where it's like, what is this? What is this doing here? Yep. Clearly, this is not naturally occurring. It's so funny that we've seen it twice in the show now, and it's so just casually in there. And it, like, you could make a whole episode about them trying to figure this out. And both times it shows up in an episode, there was so many other things going on that it's just kind of dropped. Like, at no point do, do the whole, did all the characters just huddle up and go like, 
Okay, let's figure this out. What the heck is this cable doing here? Does that mean that there's electricity on the island? Where does it go into the water? What's all this about? And instead it's like, Hurley wandered off into the jungle. we got to go find him. And then let's not worry about it. <laughs> yeah. This is one of the decisions that they make on Lost that I, I get it. I wouldn't do it, but I, you know, I think we said this in another episode too, that uh, am I behind Michael building the raft? Yes. Would I volunteer to be on the raft? Absolutely not. No. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like despite Shannon's translations, they still haven't figured out these maps. They seem extremely well illustrated, so I don't know why you wouldn't just use that, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like they're very they're very well yeah. done. Like I feel like that's enough. Like the rest of it's just gravy. While Jack and Saeed argue, Hurley is transfixed by the numbers. We get our first flashback. Hurley is living at his mom's, working at a chicken shack, watching TV. The lottery numbers come up. It's the numbers. And we find out that this is the 16th week without a jackpot. And Hurley faints. He is a big-time lottery winner. Quick question. Yes. Is this the first time Hurley has bought a lottery ticket? No. It's the first time he's used the numbers. Probably not the... No, absolutely not the first time he's he's bought a lottery ticket. Yeah. I And I don't think they'd tell us... Why he said, but yeah, I definitely get the impression that it's like, no, yeah, this is something that he he does. I mean, some people and, really get into the lottery. Like I've no, known I, people who like it's it's like a religion. I mean, it still blows my mind going to a grocery store and there are people who are just turning in the scratch off things. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just like I I okay. Hey, I'm not gonna yuck anybody's yum. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a meat potatoes kind of guy. I'm not gonna yuck anybody's yum. <laughs> Saeed wakes up. He has this big dopey smile on his face, so he must be having a great dream. And he finds Hurley staring at him. Just very intently. Yes. <laughs> that, that little look on Hurley's face. He wants to know about the numbers. And Saeed said he thought that they might be coordinates. Saeed told the group about the wire leading into the ocean. Hurley gets that detail from him and steals one of the maps. I, I just really enjoy this, how for every episode previous to this, and Hurley even lampshades this at the end of the episode he's good old fun time hurley and this is something that is it's deadly serious to him it is and yet he's still such a goofball trying to trying to get his answers yeah it's like for all we know it is midnight absolutely it's like oh sorry if it's a bad time dude uh <laughs> just just trots off what i think is funny about it too is how as you've mentioned before, Hurley's a, a real proactive character. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we see the fruits of his labors, such as the golf course, where we know that he's doing something, but we don't follow him. So we don't know how it's being done. I think even in the in translation episode, when he just walks up to Jin with two fishing poles, it's kind of like, yeah, those might have already been there, but maybe he built them mm-hmm. and was like, come on, buddy. Like. And so this is like our first glimpse of seeing Hurley enacting a plan. That's a good know, point. And, and it's so within character, but he's all, he's just so mischievous. Because I, I just I remember like when he's putting together the golf course and Jack hollers at him like, what are you doing? And he's like, <laughs> and, it's, and he's like so scheming. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this one. Yeah, it's just like he's a little rascal. He is. When he gets uh, an idea in his head, he, he commits to it. Yeah. 
we get our flashback of Hurley being interviewed by news crews on the front lawn of his mom's house with his family. He says the numbers came to him. He said he put his family through a lot recently and just wants to take care of them. We find out later it's because he was committed. And very sadly, Grandpa Tito has a heart attack. Back on the island, Charlie sees Hurley packing a lot of water. He wants to come with, but Hurley says he needs some alone time. Charlie is baffled by their whole exchange. His yeah, okay at the end is great. Like he, he's, he's never seen Hurley like this before. He's very confused. It's funny that, you know, we've talked about how this budding bromance between Charlie and Hurley. Charlie has a few digs at Hurley, both his mental state and his weight in this episode. But it's clear that Charlie, Charlie wants to be friends with Hurley and is very confused this whole episode by pretty much all of his actions and behavior. Yeah, and we'll get to it towards the end. Um, so I won't spoil that. But I think that for the most part, I felt like a lot of the digs and stuff were kind of typical Razzin. I didn't feel that anything was cruel. No, I don't think it's mean-spirited. Until the end. That's what we'll get to. <laughs> At the beach, Locke asked Claire for help on a project. I forgot that this happened in this episode. I thought it happened in a Locke episode. This is a very teeny tiny little B, almost a C plot, but it ends up being very sweet. Yeah, I, I really like this. The next morning, Said asks Jack where the map is. Said is so mad that people are asking him about Rousseau. They realize Hurley took it, and Charlie says that he was acting like a loon earlier. Said is touched that Shannon is worried about him. He really, <laughs> he's really surprised. And uh, it's a it's a sweet little moment. That was actually the very first thing I wrote. Down. So he has a genuine, sincere moment of like, Shannon cares, genuinely cares. And I love that he doesn't play this off as like a, I mean, I know that he wouldn't, but he doesn't play it off as a tough guy of, of being like, ah, don't worry about me. And, and, and nor does he play it off as like a, uh, I had no idea you cared this much. Like he genuinely looks at her and is like, I need to reassure you in this moment. This yeah. is a, uh, and I, I just, yeah, Saeed just rocks. I, I just, I love it. I love seeing it. It's like, not undercut by a joke. It's just this nice, quiet moment between them. Yeah. One true pairing. The cut of Hurley trudging up the beach to the hip hop song is great. Uh, once again, the song is entitled either Drinks on Me or Who You Wit and was produced by Chris the Glove Taylor. We get a flashback. Hurley is in his H2 with his mom. And, oh my god, you remember H2s? Do you remember when those were just all over the place? Are these Hummers? It's not it's right. not the Hummer. It's the it's the model of Hummer that came out after the Hummer. It's that big, blocky monstrosity that was just... I mean, I can't speak for the rest of the country, but here in Southern California, around 2004, 2005, these damn things were everywhere. They were obnoxious then, and they're even more obnoxious now. <laughs> yeah, we're getting political on this podcast. <laughs> We learn that at Tito's funeral, the priest was struck by lightning. We learn that Hurley's brother's wife has left him. And he asks his mom if maybe the money is cursed. And then as she steps out of the car, she breaks her ankle. And her new house is on fire. And Hurley is wrongfully arrested for being a drug dealer. I think that scene was great. And again, you look at an episode like this in today's climate the cops uh, wrongfully arresting a person of color. Mm -hmm. And um, 
as much as uh yes, yeah, still very relevant, it's also like this is an example of like I think they nailed the delicate balance where you could, even though Hurley says before it ends, not not cursed, huh, mom? It's like, yeah, no, in this era, like cops would actually come and be like, you don't own this house. You probably started the fire. Um, and, um, oh, maybe this is too political for a podcast. Uh, <laughs> I just, uh, I just mean that it's done in a way that it's at least it's it's humorous, but no less real. And again, I, I feel like they did achieve that balance really well between that and Tito's heart attack. Yeah. But yeah, we can mosey right along. On the island, Hurley finds the sea cable and calls out, yo, French chick, and starts working his way into the jungle. We get the flashback with Hurley and his accountant. We learn that his stocks are up following a hurricane that... Drove up Orange Futures. He's the majority shareholder for a box company in Tustin, which is obviously uh, where Locke works. His sneaker factory in Canada burned down and killed at least eight people. Get another arc number there. And coupled with his wrongful arrest lawsuit, his net worth is now almost double what it was when he first won the lottery. And his accountant asks him about the numbers, and Hurley thinks back to where he got them and concludes that the numbers are cursed. And the accountant doesn't believe him, but as he's talking about it, a man plummets to his death outside the window. And I remember for a little while there was a theory that that man was Locke, but I'm pretty sure that uh, David Lindelof and Carlton Q said, no, it's, it's a different guy. Oh, like when he gets pushed out the window? Uh-huh. That kind of oh, <laughs> you want you want it to be luck. I'm trying to think how that would shape. Oh man, I don't know. That'd be kind of. I feel like that. That might be one of those things. It's like you should have just gone with it. <laughs> uh, oh my god, that would be such a neat way to foreshadow. <laughs> uh, I don't. Uh, <laughs> You're really on that, board with this theory. I I think so. I I think that would only make it better. <laughs> if we're seeing how Locke got his back broken in episode 18. God, that'd be cool. I feel even kind of like, now I feel like I'm remembering it where he's wearing that, uh, in my head, he has that blue and white wide checkered I think that's shirt. exactly what he's wearing. I think you're right. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I, I, I like that a lot. I, I, I would want that to be true. <laughs> On the beach, Sawyer is reading A Wrinkle in Time and getting very flustered. We don't really follow up on this. Yeah. I don't know if there was like if that's something that's going to happen in the next episode or if something was cut from this episode, but he's very upset. He seems to be aggravated by something. You know, this is a great point because I, I did. I was thinking in my head that I'm like, oh, is this the episode where he gets glasses? That's what I thought it was going. And yeah, it, it definitely wasn't. So um, I wonder if that is just they planted the seed. And this is going to come up in an episode or two. Because I feel like it does happen early. Yeah. And if they are planting seeds for that, bravo. Because yeah. it really just by itself, it just seems like Sawyer's just having a bad day. Yeah. Jin and Michael start arguing about the raft. Sun tells Kate that Jin will never speak to her again because she humiliated him in the jungle. Hurley finds a dead pig hanging. He steps on a pressure trigger. And Saeed tells him not to move. And I did mention this before. But 
when they're on the beach, Saeed tells Jack, oh, we can definitely catch up with Hurley, all three of us, which is mildly insulting. But they do. That fast travel. Yeah. I have written an asterisk here, and I think you will agree with me on this. Hurley standing on the pressure plate is a better version of the Charlie standing on the beehive scene. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Charlie asks how they're going to find something to replace his weight, and Hurley is offended, which I, I love. It's like Hurley's still listening. And Hurley says he's spry. He can do it. And I love it. I love Hurley's optimism. I like that they kind of justify Because, like, I, I don't think at this point that we'd seen Hurley really be reckless. I get that part of that is that he's being driven to get answers to these numbers. That's what's driven him halfway across the world. But the other thing that he seems to have learned, and we, we then learn in the flashback, is that whoever is cursed by the numbers isn't impacted themselves. It's that it's the people around them. And so I do wonder if him taking the risk on the bridge as he does later, or like, oh, I'll just jump out of the way of this, is him a little bit gaming his curse where he's like, I'm the only one at risk. Then like, if these guys try and come over here and stop me, they're dead. I'm not. And yeah. And then it gets explored. I know it gets explored in the, I think it's the season one finale that shows Hurley's curse, if it is a curse, works in the way that he actually is extremely lucky. And unfortunately, the way that that luck manifests often is through bad things happening to other people. But Hurley always comes out on top. Amidst all of the chaos and uh, heartbreak of the bad things happening to his family, Hurley ends up being not only a multimillionaire, but even doubling his net worth. And things only go better for him from a financial standpoint and from just a just a lifestyle standpoint. I, I don't know if it's Hurley gaming his curse. I like that idea. Or if it's just Hurley really thinking he could make it, which he does. I guess it's a good point, because I do like that he's always been a very Star Wars savvy guy. And this episode feels in the same vein as like Indiana Jones, which I is concurrent with that and like. And I'm sure there is a part of him that's very much like a, on the Han Solo of this mission. And <laughs> But yeah, I, I feel like he knows he's safe. What I like about this trap is that it's not crazy fast. When it swings down, it's dangerous. Obviously, it's dangerous. You could kill somebody with that just with just being poked in the wrong place. But it doesn't come down like it's spring-loaded. Like, this is very yeah. meant to, yeah, to, to to hit, like, a boar or some kind of animal who wouldn't be expecting it. It's not like some Indiana Jones trap that is, you're like, how the heck has this thing lasted for a thousand years with, you know, pneumatic pressure, like, shooting arrows out of the walls and stuff like that? It's like, no, this is a bunch of sharp sticks on a rope, and it does what that would do. It swings out. And Hurley jumps out of the way. And I, I appreciated the realism of it. I don't know if it was if it was supposed to look like that, but I like it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Hurley won't tell the group why he went off by himself. He's still sticking to a story that he's looking for a battery. Jax, what are you doing here, man, is very compassionate. He's not mad at Hurley because how could he be? 
Jack's very much just like, you are the last person I expect to do something crazy like this. What's going on? Talk to me. And he won't because Hurley doesn't want people to think he's crazy. He hates that. We get our flashback where Hurley is trying to see Leonard at the institution he stayed at. Him telling the man changing the light bulb not to do it right now is great. And the guy listens to him. The guy like very clear is like, okay, I'm, I'm, go- I'm going down now. The doc recognizes Hugo and there is a great shot here. And I have to believe that this is a, a David Fury thing in that this whole time, we don't know where Hurley is. We see him at the front desk of a place. We see the guy working on the light bulb, but we don't actually know what this facility is. And it's only when the doctor shows up and greets Hurley and recognizes him that we get the reverse shot where we have that little placard on the wall that says psychiatric admitting. And it's just a great visual cue to say, this is a psych ward. That's why Hurley's here. And this doctor recognizes him because Hurley was a patient here. It's great visual storytelling. That is great. I completely miss that. Yeah, and I love it. Yeah, it's it's really and it's not even it's not huge. It's not a huge sign, but it's on a white pillar right next to Hurley's head. And it's just a black placard that says psychiatric admitting. I can visualize it now that you're saying it, but I'm like, oh, I completely missed that because I was already in my head of being like, oh, we hit the psych ward. Yeah, like, no, it's I, I had to remind like, myself that like we don't actually know that yet. So we find Leonard, who has been mumbling these numbers for God knows how long. He does a great job at it, too. I just want to oh. say, because, like, it does at first just sound like he's going, like, uh, and it's like, oh, no, you, like, listen in. It's almost like that, like, cocktail effect mm-hmm. where you get that, and you're like, oh, he's saying the numbers. But he snaps out of it when Hurley tells him he used them to play the lottery. And Lenny <laughs> loses his mind. Uh, what, little he, what little he had left. I love it. I love his his delivery of a... You shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's like, well, thanks, man. Can you give me anything else? He says a few things. He says that Hurley opened the box. He says that he has to get away from the numbers and that it won't stop. I believe that he is just generally referring to Pandora's box here, but it is a box. And uh, we, we know that this island is all about boxes. He gets led away by an orderly, and he says that he heard the numbers from Sam Toomey in, I'm going to mispronounce this, Kalgoorlie? His line at the end there was like, in Australia! Oh, God! (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why. Back on the island. Can I just pause for a bit? Because I was talking to my partner about this with regards to the raised by another... And I saw this again when I was looking up interviews about this episode. I, I think especially today, given how much of an issue abortion is and how we immediately assumed that was why that episode was flagged by executives. Because like, oh, is it is because it they, they were thinking about terminating the baby? And it's like, no, no one gave a shit. And instead they were like, hey, if you guys are going to go supernatural, mm, maybe, maybe back off. And like, yeah, you have Hurley's episode here. I'm realizing how much you're throwing in here where it's like curses, supernatural elements. Then they're also going to throw in uh, someone who is um, mentally unwell. I- I'm just imagining that same executive being like, 
Oh, but yeah, you could rationalize all. Of it. All right, so yeah, this is fine. Yeah, like, no, they they <laughs> very much are still towing that line. Like you can approach this episode or come away from it rather with the idea that maybe it is all in Hurley's head. Maybe it's all just coincidence. Back on the island, Said and the gang discover the cable goes into the ground, and Charlie finds a rope bridge. They say Rousseau's team might have built it, and then Charlie says, or Ethan's team, which I think is significant. Hurley crosses it alone, perhaps once again trusting in his curse slash his luck to save him, and they are all so visibly relieved when he makes it across. And Charlie makes another dig at Hurley's weight when he starts to cross... And Jack's like, no. And he's like, well, he he can do it. But, like, that's what I mean is I think that's totally fine. I like, realistically, it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the bridge snaps at the very end. And Charlie calls Hurley a bloody lunatic. And he does not take that well. So the two teams have been separated and now looking for each other. In the flashback, Martha answers the door of this shack. And she says, if this weren't in the middle of nowhere, I'd say you were lost. <laughs> uh, we find out that this is the wife of Sam Toomey. Sam has been dead for four years. Another arc number. He served with Leonard in the U.S. Navy at a listening post, monitoring longwave transmissions over the Pacific. And 16 years ago, another arc number, they hear a voice repeating the numbers. Sam used the numbers to win money at a fair. They won $50,000. They learned that the man had been running the scam for 40 years. Four is, once again, another arc number. This whole monologue is just full of the numbers. On the way home, Martha lost her leg in an accident, and Sam started keeping record of every bad thing that happened to the people around them. They moved out to a remote area to stop it from happening, and he finally put a shotgun in his mouth to make it stop. And yet, at the end of this whole monologue, Martha is adamant that there is no curse. She says, you make your own luck. Yeah, I mean, I love the uh, Terminator 2, mm-hmm. or is it Terminator 1, the no fate, but what we make. But yeah, I, I do like that. But do you do you think, because I, I, I love the way that she delivers it, but do you think that she believes there is no curse? I do. She seems so angry. She seems more angry that her husband let this take over his life than she is at numbers. She seems like a complete rationalist that you can't blame a set of numbers for the terrible things that can happen in life. I fully believed it. I didn't think that she was trying to pretend like it wasn't. I think that she, her anger felt very real. I I really like that actress. The anger does seem real. And I feel like it is something she's been rehearsing for years. Hmm. It's why if the numbers are cursed, I would love it. I would love to have learned that nothing bad has happened to her since her husband died, which would be like, I think would just make her all the more angry as like someone that has been trying to say, like, stop blaming the numbers. Stop it. Stop it. And then once that person is gone and the bad luck stops, it's like, no, don't don't tell me. They were right, like I, that kind of like simul- angry and frustrated. And so I, I'd like to believe that she she thinks that the curse is real, but she has rehearsed so many times to her husband that it's like, no, they're not. No, they're not. And like if she just got it right, 
he would uh, not have killed himself. That is a really creepy thought. Uh, back on the island, Claire thinks that Locke's project is an animal trap. He's made glue from rendered animal fat. And she thanks him for giving her something to do. Like, nobody wants to deal with this pregnant woman. And uh, he asked her for help. This is yet another 4D chess move of Locke <laughs> recruiting someone when Charlie is gone and Jack is gone. And he has the, uh, the opportune moment to uh, bring her to the dark side. <laughs> but... I do think it is. Uh, you could view this as just a genuinely nice gesture as like, as Claire has mentioned repeatedly throughout the last 18 episodes, <laughs> no one wants to deal with this teen mom. Mm-hmm. And yes, yeah, she doesn't get invited to go into the jungle and uh, <laughs> yeah, she can't help build the boat. And yeah, I, I think it is the, Everyone likes feeling useful or, or having something to do. Yep. And Locke's like, yeah, I, I feel like he very clearly was like, can you move a saw back and forth like this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you're good. Back in the jungle, Jack trips an explosive, a pretty huge explosive. Yeah. Uh, we find out that Rousseau set a booby trap to destroy her base. She was counting on Saeed coming back and leading people back to her. Charlie asks Hurley what's going on. Hurley tells Charlie he's not crazy and is about to tell him his story when Rousseau starts shooting at them. Just, <laughs> okay, wait. Just shooting great. at them. <laughs> well, yes, but also, I this is played for all the laughs as well as so realistically, because quite frankly, if you were on an abandoned island for two, three weeks and led a relatively safe life and suddenly... You hear a sound that's like cartoon. You're like, what is that? And then it happens again. You're like, I haven't seen a cell phone in weeks. And I know this sound. And then realizing that someone is shooting at you, like, I love this. I didn't even consider that. And you're 100% correct. So I was like, I would have started running as soon as the first thing. But no, you're right. Why would you think that bullets are being fired at you on this deserted island? Yeah, I get the impression they're so like, what is what is happening? Do you think Rousseau is trying to shoot them or she's sending off warning shots? I honestly don't know. And I, I feel like I'm so worried that she is trying to kill them. But I just, but no, yeah, I don't, I don't. No, she, I mean, it's probably warning shots. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Hard to tell with Rousseau. But speaking of Rousseau, I don't want to make a big deal about this but when hurley runs into her in the jungle she looks really good <laughs> i don't know what it is i i don't know if it's the makeup if it's the light i don't know she looks like when when saeed finds her she's you know she's she seems i mean she's still grubby in this episode but i don't know like i paused the the episode and i was just like we still got a glow up or something. I don't know what's going on, but she's looking great. We've talked about a couple of times where it's like, I remember watching the show and thinking that Jack and Sawyer uh, were middle-aged guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I thought that Locke was a grandpa. And yeah, watching this now, 20 years later, it's like, Sawyer's a young guy. They're also young. Locke is like far from 
an old guy. Like he's he's older than everyone else on the island, but he's certainly not an old old guy. And like, yeah, it makes younger characters like Claire and Kate that much more obvious as like, wow, these people are really young. And in the case of Rousseau, who I remember watching the show and thinking like, I know that she's supposed to be like a Ripley, Sarah Connor-esque. Well, I mean, honestly, she looks a little bit like like what I think of when I think of like Aerosmith. Um, <laughs> and um, seeing her, I'm like, she's a good, good-looking lady. Jeez. Like, I, I, like, I was just like, I, I guess we had this a little bit too with like the Homecoming episode where it's like, the, when the guy's like, she's a moose, and it's like, no, she's really not. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I like I, I don't know what it is. I don't know. I don't know if it's getting older. I don't know if it's HGTV. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yes, she she's for 16 years without a shower. She looks great. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hurley begs her. <laughs> All right, let's try this again. <laughs> Early begs her to tell him what the numbers mean. She doesn't know. He gives a great speech about going along with all the weird shit on the island and the pissed off giraffe. But what he wants right now is an answer for this. He's tired of being fun time Hurley. He just wants to know. He wants some freaking answers. And... Rousseau gives him as good of an answer. I also like that she's like looking at this guy and like, as you said, she has been on this island for a long time by herself, 16 years. Maybe Saeed softened her up a little bit, but she's looking at Hurley and she is able to connect the dots that this guy needs some help. He needs some validation. He needs somebody to look at him and talk to him. So she gives him the best answer she can, which is not necessarily that she believes the numbers are intrinsically cursed, but basically saying, yeah, they brought me here and results in the deaths of everyone I cared about. And they brought you here, too. So let's say they're cursed. And Hurley is so relieved that he hugs her. It's it's nice. And I noted here, Charlie has a habit of losing people that he's running away from danger with. Yeah. Uh, you remember in the pilot of this? Uh, <laughs> oh, I was just, he was there and then he wasn't. Yep. I, he was almost, dead. We were dead. It's almost the exact same speech where he's like, he was running with me, and then he wasn't anymore. I, I don't know what happened. It's like, Charlie, you suck at this. Again, I, I think it's clever that Rousseau, who is crazy, or appears crazy, She's crazy, is the one to give Hurley validation, which I feel, as an audience <laughs> member, you can be like, yeah, he, w oh, but, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, has anyone else validated this? Well, there was Leonard. It's like, yeah, Leonard. And so I, I think that's really clever. I also, I'm a little bit bummed that they don't give us a different camera angle of Hurley's hug of Rousseau. Because I got to imagine. You wanted her face? I, yeah, because, I mean, I imagine, this is like, she hasn't touched anyone in decades. She hasn't been held by anyone. I don't even think. You know, she like she like kind of touches Saeed and stuff. Like Saeed never like held her or something. Like it's I gotta imagine she's gotta be like, oh right, compassion. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if 
probably a style decision, but I wonder if they didn't even have the actress for that shot because it's probably a stand-in that Hurley's hugging. You're probably right. <laughs> but yeah, I actually, I liked it because it's, it, the the image of Hurley hugging her is is the last thing you expect and you just have to imagine what her face is doing, which I, I almost like more. Yeah. Hurley appears and gives Jack a battery and tells Saeed that Rousseau says, hey, but the look on Jack's face, that little smile where he's just like, classic Hurley. <laughs> we, yeah, uh, if anything, I'd say there's a budding Jack and Hurley romance, bromance, too, because <laughs> I do recall in season five, as they get to the Dharma Initiative, I feel like Jack and Hurley are on the same team at that point. Yeah, I in the same way that Sawyer is the one person on the island that Jack can't stand and thinks shouldn't be there. I think Jack will never be upset with Hurley because he knows that Hurley's always coming from a place of, of love and wanting to help people. On the beach, Said gives Michael the battery. Claire tells us it's her birthday. And my question for you is, did Locke know this already? And if he did know, how did he know? Did the island tell him? <laughs> no, he did not know. It's just that he knows the baby's coming. He was making the baby a crib. I don't know. It's... You're probably right, but I don't know. Sometimes Locke knows things, and I... It's totally possible that amidst the conversation... No, yeah, that wouldn't have happened. Well, she was broadcasting... No, she didn't. Well, she's into astrology, and I imagine... Gemini. At some... <laughs> well, no, Kate's the Gemini. That's right. Uh, but, like, I imagine there could have been a time where... Locke's taking mental inventory of like, okay, Gemini, da, da, da. and I'm sure Claire then knows hers is whatever it is. And he's like, oh, you know, it's close to her birthday and our baby's being born soon. I was probably going to be good. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll. So I think it's possible that he could know it was her birthday. I think it's more likely that he was just making the thing for the baby and was like, and now you'll be able to tell your child. I, I built this for you because you are staying on this island and I'm recruiting people to stay on this <laughs> island forever. The cradle reveal is incredibly sweet. Very nice moment on the island. We learned yeah. that Hurley believes the plane crash was his fault. He's having a heart-to-heart -heart with Charlie and he reveals that he's worth $156 million. And Charlie is pissed. He bared his soul about his drug addiction and thinks Hurley's joking. And Hurley isn't even that upset. He seems to be used to it. And I just feel bad for Charlie because uh, Hurley is trying to bond with Charlie and uh, Charlie just doesn't believe him. I hate this scene. Oh, you don't like, you don't like that? No, I, I think this is so ugly, nasty, gross on Charlie's part. Yeah. He's just being shitty. Like, because I hate that he... I think burying your soul is fine, but then uh, he, he does it or claims that he does it as a quid pro quo. Like, I'll just reveal to you the most important secret in my life. So I thought you might want to reciprocate. It's like, that's not how that works. In Charlie's defense, I think that what he's trying to do is he's trying to restart the conversation that there was interrupted when Rousseau started shooting at them. Hurley was going to tell him about the numbers and tell him what he was really doing. And I think that's what Charlie's doing at the end where he's trying to, to get back on the same page because he likes Hurley and he, you know, he, they're buddies. I, I do agree. It, it does 
make Charlie come both Charlie and Saeed come off as way more temperamental and petulant than they usually do in other episodes. I don't think it's an ugly moment, but I, I get where you're coming from. I can, well, I can see why that's not. Yeah. And like, I, I think that's the thing is like all of the, the jabs that he's taken at Hurley are fine when you view them as like a friendship. And so if he took what Hurley said seriously, you know, no harm, no foul, but instead, or no, I'm sorry. If, cause even just the way that shot, like if, if Hurley makes the joke and Charlie says like, I'm trying to have an honest conversation with you and you make a joke out of it. Ah, forget it. Like if that's how he left it fine, but then he tries to guilt him into it where it's like, okay, so if Hurley is making a joke and you're not laughing, you're still being a shitty friend because like you've been razzing him all day. So if you think he's making a joke, then like, yeah, he's in on the jokes that you're doing. Like it's mutual, but That's fair. yeah, That's fair. I, I, I think it's a really shitty thing of Charlie. I, I think that he either should have laughed and been like, all right, fine. You don't have to tell me right now because he gets it. Or if he's like, I'm actually trying to have a serious conversation with you. Why don't you, when you're ready to talk, we'll, we'll talk. You know, like, instead he's just like, it's a gross quid pro quo and then the guilt afterward of, it's like, I, I bear my soul to you. It's like, it's not like he asked you to. <laughs> um, but I, I, I will say, the thing that I did take away from this and, and partly what made me think of the whole are the numbers curse is I do appreciate the argument that Charlie makes of, I suppose your numbers made me use heroin. And it's mm-hmm. like, this is a good point. And, and again, I, I think that there's probably some reflection that uh, Hurley could do of like, oh, I crashed the plane. And it's like, no, a lot of people were in bad shape. You know, and like, I, I, I like that as far as like extending a, a rational explanation to someone who's clearly like, the guilt is eating them up that the, it's like, I crashed the plane because I'm cursed. And it's like, we're all cursed. You, you, you know more so than the rest of us. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I'm i trying to remember if Hurley ever explains his whole curse with the numbers to people, and I, I don't think that he ever flat out says it. And it's one of the things that I know it would retread a lot of ground that we already see in the flashbacks, and that's the whole point, is that we don't want to have characters constantly repeat things that we, the audience, know. But Hurley's thing with the numbers is so weird and singular that you'd feel like he would eventually tell someone, especially as the numbers start popping up more and more, where he would say, like, instead of telling Charlie that he feels like he's cursed, it would have made more sense, like, in a real-life situation, to say, all right, I know you're not going to believe me, but I've been having this weird relationship with these numbers. They're the numbers that won me the lotto. Not some of them, all of them. And I feel like they're following me around, and... They're being broadcasted from a transmission on this island. That's weird, right? And Charlie would say, yeah, that's really weird. But, you know, we needed a button for this episode. <laughs> oh, actually, well, the final the final shot of the episode is uh, looking at the hatch, and we see the numbers on the side of it, which ends the episode on a very chilling note. Yeah. So, that was Numbers. Do they spell numbers with a three at the end? Or am I, am I, 
No, you're right. you're thinking about the number twenty three. Think about number twenty three. <laughs> I think that was the first movie I watched where I was like, "Is this? Does every teenage boy in Hollywood just get cast with that swooped and a little too long haircut to indicate that they're a young teenage boy?" That is what they do. It's weird yeah. that anytime yeah. you see a movie where they are the they're casting the the older actor and showing him being younger, it's the floppy hair. They even do it. I mean, they do it in everything. But like another good example is Christian Bale in Batman Begins, where when he gets mm-hmm. like done and he's going to shoot Joe Chill and he's just got the floppy hair. Um, I want to say it happens with Ed Norton in American History X, where he's wearing like a big oversized like sweater, like a baseball hat. And he's got floppy hair. I don't know. For some reason, floppy hair just is supposed to communicate youth. <laughs> Yeah, I I I like numbers. I don't like the number twenty three, but I've seen it a lot. 